Welcome, everyone. Today on Housing Wire Daily, I'm joined again by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about raising his sixth recession red flag and all of the crazy news we have on the economic front this week. So, Logan, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be here. This is probably one of the more exciting economic days of my life. So there's a lot to talk about today, which is going to be a lot of fun. Okay, Logan, well, which is it? What did we want to talk about first? Is it the jobs report? Yes. Uh, jobs reports came in as a big beat. Uh, bond yields went up. But uh, for the uh, progression work that we've done here in Housing Wire, one of the uh, things that uh, happened after the America's Back Recovery Model, which was written on April 7th, 2020, then it was retired on December 9th, 2020, uh, the labor market was going to be the one data data line that was going to lag. Uh, uh, and I believe that by September of 2022, we should get all the jobs back, right? If you just take a, if you just take a while where the economy was recovering, labor force, again, we believe that job openings would get over 10 million, right? Job openings got over 10 million. Job openings data has fallen recently. Uh, um, the job growth data is picking up. So those things are converging. So I think we've already peaked out on the uh, job openings data for this cycle. So uh, two months shy, you know, because it happened at the end of July. But it's so fascinating for me because I'm raising my sixth recession red flag today uh, uh, while the jobs number is, is good. And again, we did not have a recession in the first six months of the year. Uh, the negative GDP prints because of export data and the inventory builds, traditionally recessions going back past World War II, people lose jobs, industrial production falls, you know, total economic output activity falls together. This is why economic models work. They trend together for a reason, because recessionary data is uh, very easy to see. Uh, what's happened is because of social media, because of ideological beliefs, people went in and they just got embarrassed today because you don't have a jobs print like this. Uh, you don't have positive industrial productions. You don't have gross domestic income rising during a recession. It's never occurred. With all that said, I'm raising my sixth recession red flag because we're looking forward. Okay, so that was my question. How are you? How are you raising your sixth recession red flag when you're like, we just got this amazing jobs report? How do the? How does that work? Now, whenever I raise the recession red flags, if you look at it in the previous uh, expansions, when all six are in, the only great uh, uh, analogy we really have in recent history was kind of 2006 to 2007, that the late 2006 period, early 2007. All six recession red flags were raised there. Uh, it did take some time to get to the. Uh, actual recession. So uh, you don't raise the six recession red flags when you're losing jobs. Th that, that means the model is not predictive. That's why if somebody is going to ask me today, I'm going to say, I don't raise it after the fact. You, the recession red flag model is a progression model to give people kind of a heads up, right? Uh, that's why in gotcha. 2006 to 2007, that, or that late period, all six flags were up. So the model is designed to show a progression, right? Uh, for example, the housing recession. Housing recession is based off of construction is going to slow down. Uh, new home sales are falling, of course. Uh, the, the builders are going to try to do everything they can to sell their product. And they're going to pull back on construction of single family homes during this process. That traditionally goes in with recessions. 
Nothing like this is what we saw in the peak of 2005 because sales levels were never uh, back to 2005. And then the secondary uh, factor is that when sales are declining, the uh, transfer of commissions of of money, right? Realtors make less money. uh, Loan officers make less money. That is the secondary recessionary impact. So in this sense, we see that in all the data. People are getting laid off. uh, Incomes are going to be less, but production of housing. So when I talk about a housing recession, it's just based off of that, because that's what traditionally happens. Then we get to see some of the uh, recent data start to get softer. And it's here to design for going out. And this is why here, man, when I saw that jobs report, the, the American muscle, everything, hey, look what we did. We got all the jobs back in a very short amount of time compared to what we saw in the great financial crisis, where it took many years, right, because the recovery wasn't uh, softer. And this is why I targeted that date in September of 2022. So two months early, um, but we have to look forward, right? Uh, and one of the factors is, is that mortgage rates are simply too high right now with the home price growth to have sales grow. That's just the reality of having so much uh, inflated home prices uh, in a very short amount of time. This is why the 23% home price growth model was specifically designed for this period in time because this period was different than the previous expansion. We had the potential of home prices accelerating because inventory channels were falling. Uh, and then the new home sales sector, of course, uh, everybody can see median sales price just took off. The builders made a lot of money. Their profit margins were excellent, actually. And now that rates rise, and we guess what? We tagged a bond market channel to this. So when the 10-year yield breaks above 1.94%, market will change, but... We had so much price growth from uh, the kind of the summer of 2020 to now. So with that in context, housing recession, some of the uh, investment data are going to get weaker. Uh, The leading economic index has technically fallen four months. uh, But if you know the components of this index, you can see some of the data lines are getting weaker. The article I wrote is to basically show here's the recession model. Okay, so what can happen? Uh, How does how do we prevent a recession from happening? and in, in the article, I talk about, um, you know, we have such wild economic data during this period. We have high velocity data. The growth numbers were so strong. They, of course, they can't be hit. The negative numbers were so negative because guess what? You know, uh, the, 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 the bullwhip effect of, of data like this. But there's going to be an equilibrium. So how does the recession not happen? Growth rate of inflation falls. Rates fall, right? With growth rate of inflation falls and rates fall, what happens? The economy gets back to some kind of normal equilibrium and people have the ability to spend more because we're a domestic spending economy. So this is why uh, in in the article I show what can change this because we're dealing with such a a unique period in time. But as I show, uh, the model is designed to follow every single economic expansion and recession. So even today, you know, with the big jobs reports with the bond yields going up, uh, it's, it looks about right, right? Uh, I, I always anticipated us getting back to here just a little bit earlier than two months earlier than I thought it would be. But we have to look forward out. So the things that have impacted the economy recently, uh, if you look back in the previous uh, GDP report, we can see residential investment is falling. Uh, um, and the sales are falling, and new home sales are falling, and transfer income is falling. So we could we have to go forward looking on that. But it's just fascinating that 
here it is on the day, which I can't, I can't even believe I'm saying this on the day that we get all the jobs back is the day I'm actually, you know, uh, raising the six recession red flag. And it looks actually perfect normal. If you look at historical uh, economic data trends, even with how crazy and wild uh, data has been uh, after uh, March of 2020. Well, you know, all things converging, but I do want to take just a second to say congratulations on that America's Back Recovery model and the fact that you said after that it, we would have all those jobs back by 2022, September of 2022. And a lot of people were like, no way, you're absolutely, that is completely off base. And here you are, came in a couple of weeks early, what, two two months early, the data shows that? Oh, technically, yeah, because it's July, so it's the end of September. So, you know, it would be the probably get the report early October, but um, you could see the, uh, I hope people can understand why I emphasize so much on the job openings data. Uh, when it was below 7 million and we kept on tweeting and we kept on writing about job openings are going to get over 10 million. Job open- there is a demographic turnover with the labor market that is unique. And this is why I always tell people, I hate the labor force participation data. I hate it. I hate it. I find it the most useless data line we have. Everyone focuses on it because they think that millions of Americans have been sitting at home, not working since 1940 and buying homes and renting and eating. No, there's oh, there's, uh, there's a civilian uh, labor force pool that's been rising for years, but it, it doesn't deviate from the trend that we've seen. All it does is that we have older people now, so they leave the workforce. They're done. You know, the adjustment period of this, of this, what's happened during COVID is, guess what? We had a lot of people die, right? We have a lot of people die of COVID. We had a lot of people die of, uh, of, of drug abuse. And a portion of that is in the prime age labor force, right? Ages 25 to 54, which should always matter more than anything. So the employment to population data had been rising. So everything kind of looks about right. But, you know, we just don't have the kind of labor market that people think where, well, the labor force participation is at 62. You know, there's millions of Americans. They don't work. Do you know how stupid this premise is? People don't want to work. We go back to newspaper clips going all the way back to the 1890s. And there's always some crazy person that says, nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to work. Nobody. Think about the rationality if you're past the second grade education. Most people are always working. They've been always working, right? There, there is no missing labor force that sits there for 10, 20, 30 years. My God, some of these people in an essence would be dead already, you know, for using the peak uh, labor force rate of 2020, right? So when you're adjusting to the civilian labor force, when you're adjusting to the demographic turns that should happen in 2020, when you're adjusting to a COVID, right? Job openings should take off. You know, people say, well, no, it's just the technology. People are, are, no. If you look at job openings trends since 2008, they've trended away for a reason. And now we have toward the end of the baby baby boomer shift, right? So when somebody leaves the workforce and they get replaced, that doesn't, in a sense, mean a job gain. That's just a wash. If you have more demand for labor, this is why I hate the robots have taken all the jobs act, right? By the way, the robots have taken all the jobs <laughs> and the nobody wants to work have been in newspaper clips going back to the late 1800s. I've seen them. Right. So what? we always have crazy. People with, you know, oh, yeah, absolutely. I've seen I've seen him. I've, I've, I've studied this. We have news newspaper clips of people saying, well, uh, horses are going to be uh, done because uh, uh, cars, you know, there's always some form of new technology that makes us a little bit more productive. 
And that productivity is people say, well, nobody wants to do the jobs or nobody wants to work because all the jobs are being taken because cars are going to replace horse carriages. I mean, there's, there's different narratives. And yet we sit here in 2022, we had over 11 million job openings out there. Um, so the narrative of the discussion is different than what the data says. That's why I say focus on the civilian labor force pool of workers. Everything looks about right. If you focus on the labor force participation rate, the general one, you'll be lost for the rest of your life and you deserve to be lost for the rest <laughs> of your life. Let me tell you something. It's, it's not just crazy trolling anti-central bank people. There are economists out there with really good degrees who just simply overweight that data line because they both truly believe that there's a mass amount of workers sitting at home since 1940 that do not ever work, but they're looking for work. That is ludicrous. Right. That doesn't make it doesn't even make sense that that these people are buying homes, renting, paying for food, buying clothes and they don't ever work. Right. So I've, I've always fought against this narrative. This has been a big thing of mine in the past. And this is one of the reasons why I don't believe we can really have big job uh, reports, you know, going out in the future when we're when we're back to normal. But of this situation, this because of the uniqueness of covid. Right. By September of 2022, we should get all the jobs data back. So that is in the past. Right. Because if you actually adjust it to taking COVID out of the equation, we should have much more jobs right now than what we have today. Right. So we just had this pandemic that caused a lot of chaos. Right. So it just takes a little bit more time. And then we look straight forward. Right. And this is part of the reasons why the leading economic index is going to be raised today. And the charts show it to you uh, unless these things reverse. Right. Traditionally, going back to the late 60s. This is where you have to be on recession watch, right? It's not a recession. This is why we, we talked about this in the last few months. This data line doesn't look recessionary because you might not like the president or whatever, or you might not like the Federal Reserve. Uh, it doesn't mean what you're saying is correct. A recession needs total economic activity to fall. People lose jobs. Consumption goes down. Production goes down. This is why they, they talk about total economic activity, not because we had one export-import data that looked bad for one quarter and then the inventory build because of one percentage numbers. My God, if growth was at 0.2% for two quarters, that, that means technically it wasn't risk. No, economic data is slowing down. It's getting weaker, right? The labor market was going to come, you know, get into place. And now we have to look forward, right? Uh, uh, the housing recession is, is a function of rates and affordability and, and the production of housing starts. Sales are coming down, less incomes, right? Uh, uh, and, and, and there's other data lines we focus here, but the last six months wasn't it. We're getting to the weaker stage. And now we look because it's different now. Right? We're on recession watch. So these data lines are focused in a different way. Uh, so I think that's that's the turn. I never had this chance to do this um, uh, uh, in the previous expansion because only three of my recession red flags were up in uh, uh, the start of uh, 2020. In fact, the economic data was getting better. Uh, what had happened in 2018 and 19 is that the trade war tap dance uh, literally prevented uh, uh, businesses from making decisions. Everyone was uh, kind of paranoid about what was going to happen with that. So business investment completely dead, right? If you look back in the e economic data then. So that slowed some of the economic data down. And then when things started to get back in uh, place, the, we could see that toward the second half of uh, uh, 2019 as rates came back down. Yeah, rates came back down. Housing demand picked up. Uh, uh, employment uh, data was was beating estimates in the early part of 2020. And guess what? Mother demographics stepped in right in 2020, right, right before COVID hit us. 
new home sales broke out, existing home sales broke out, housing permits broke out, housing starts broke out, forward-looking indicators broke out literally right in the month where COVID hit us. So oddly enough, we were getting this data in March, mid-March, and we're all dealing with COVID then. So again, COVID was a health crisis. We paused for six weeks, and then we realized we're all still alive. We plugged some of the holes with checks, and people went back to spending on cue. Yeah. So, you know, looking for, so that is a fascinating that, and you've talked about it before as this shock to the system that, you know, here we were on a certain trajectory, COVID pops up, it's a health emergency, all these things happen. And then that's when you wrote your America's Back Recovery Model about how are we going to get back? And we did. Um, and now we have all those jobs back. Looking forward, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that there are some things that could stall this recession or actually reverse it. We won't go into it. And one of them was falling rates. Well, tell me about where we are with 10-year and what you think um, falling rates looks like. As we talk right now, the 10-year yield shot up to 285, right? Uh, after the, uh, the the jobs data. Again, um, uh, if you are in a recession, right, you don't have yields like this. You don't have jobs data like this. But uh, again, we're still under 3%. So we look forward out there and what's recently, what we saw recently happen is when rates came down a, a, a one and a quarter percent, we saw a little bit more activity out there. Uh, uh, nothing, nothing too dramatic. What I believe is that if rates actually could head down to four and one eighth to four and a half percent and stay there, because home sales have fallen so much, it will be a stabilizer impact. And we'll see at that point how many new home sales can be caught up. Right? How much product is. And traditionally, what, what, what we see is housing data acts better when rates are under 4%. So we're not there, obviously. We're, I mean, we went from like this last week, went to 55 to 5% to 5.5%. We're just uh, up and down. That's not an environment the builders feel comfortable with. But if we could get to 4 and one eighth, four and a half, considering where sales are, considering that we have saw a little bit of a pickup in demand, um, that is, uh, uh, that'll be beneficial because that'll bring the housing sector back. Uh, if if the growth rate of inflation falls, like gasoline prices fall, wheat prices have already fall, you know stuff like that. Uh, the consumer feels a little bit better in that hands. Here we have the you know the opposite. The Federal Reserve is trying to to break the economy down, uh, make you spend less. That's their intention. That's why they're raising rates aggressively. That's why they, that's their job. That's their belief that their second mandate, you know, price stability. They have to raise rates. They need you to spend less so supply can increase. At some point, they turn, right? Uh, uh, so the tricky thing is that gasoline prices have fallen so much. Uh, that's a lot of the inflation expectation is, is anchored by that. So it'll, the next few months will be interesting on, on what we see there. But there are ways to actually you know, uh, see if you can reverse the recession red flag model. It's never happened. Right, uh, it's never occurred, but I have to put the possibility out there. And we just look at economic different much dif uh, differently at this time. But uh, stressing again, what we saw in the first six months wasn't a technical recession. The data is getting weaker. I can prove it with my model, but uh, uh, we're, we're dealing with different variables in this period of time in history. And again, the housing factor. So much of this is the unbelievable amount of home price growth in a very short amount of time, and an unbelievable increase in mortgage rates at a short amount of time. It, it is historic in nature, the total payment costs that have increased. Now, of course, we're still going to have mil well over 5 million total homes bought this year, even with higher rates. So 
Remember that in the discussion and the talking points. The one thing that I, I am not encouraged of uh, and the thing I've, I've always been worried about is that we're seeing new listings data fall uh, noticeably now. Uh, uh, and that's the part of the savagely unhealthy housing market uh, that the, the notion of panic selling that educated positive cash flow Americans or we're all going to run to the exits to get out of their house, possibly be homeless, possibly rent at a higher cost. Not didn't happen. It was a slow, painful death. We've sat now four weeks now where we're starting to see the year over year declines be more noticeable. That's not good. Uh, you want to see more listings. I was hoping that lower rates would actually bring more listings out. Some sellers think, okay, I, I can I can buy that house now. And it, it didn't really work. So that's the uh, not the encouraging sign I wanted to see because I'm team inventory, man. We just want to get back to 2019 levels. I think a really fascinating case to, to kind of explain my savagely unhealthy market is I looked at the data from Denver, right? And Denver's home sales were down 32% uh, year over year. Their inventory was up 82% year over year, month to month, 22%. Home prices were still up double digits year over year. That is a savagely unhealthy housing market. That is not normal under any circumstances ever recorded in history, going back to the Peloponnesian War, of course. Uh, so we need balance. And balance means more inventory, more choices. So people, sellers have less power. A lot of my things is, what do we want? We want home builders and home sellers to be put on their ass. And the only way they can do it is higher rates. And higher rates are doing their thing. So uh, we just need a little bit more time to work out the equilibrium out there. And just remember, homeowners are good. They're the, the debt structures, oh my God, we just got the new credit data. They're doing so good. You don't have to worry about people who have, who have jobs foreclosing on themselves. This happened in 2005 to 2008, right? Because the debt structure created that foreclosure and bankruptcy. We don't have any of that now. So what you're going to see going out in the future is like, this is, this is the thing that cracks me up. You have people on the internet says, foreclosures are up 700%. Stop taking drugs. No more drugs for that person, right? That is so taken out of context. So you can see that we're <laughs> all we're doing is reopening the foreclosure process. We're going to go back to trend, right? With pre-COVID trends, but people say, oh, 700%. Educated, positive cash flow Americans are selling their homes at foreclosure, even though they have 50% equity and they're still making their payments. No, that's not real. We're just taking the backlogs of the past, right? So the 30-day delinquencies are like all-time low. So Different kind of housing market, different kind of economic cycle. We always adjust to it. Uh, but a historic day, of course. And again, six recession red flags up. I've got a model to prove it, right? We look forward one day at a time, one week at a time, uh, and we go through it. But again, as always, the core belief, all American bears have failed since 1790. There is a graveyard, a graveyard of them, and especially the ones in March and April who basically said, we are going into a depression. Uh, it's over. You are part of that graveyard. You are buried in there with everybody from the 1800s, 1900s, and the last 100 years. Just that's where you belong. You don't get to come out again. <laughs> it's over. Okay, well, let me let me push back on a couple of things you said, or, or at least ask you, um, when it comes to that Denver data, from your perspective, is that just higher rates haven't quite 
uh, the, the market, what, what sellers are putting on, they just haven't. No, it has. It, it's, it's, it's definitely had. Um, you, here, let me give you some context with Denver. Denver, dur- during like 2008, it had like 28,000 homes that were for uh, uh, sale back then. If you look at Denver closed sales and the inventory channels in the previous expansion, home sales weren't really deviating. They weren't really exploding higher, but the inventory channels stayed within a line. Then in like 20, like at the start of this year, we had like a thousand homes you know, uh, uh, in Denver, it was, just, it, it, this is why I, I was literally freaking out at the start of the year. Nobody understand how bad the shortage was, uh, even though it was in the data, because why people don't read. And when you don't read, uh, you know, this is what happens. You don't understand that, uh, the, the, and let's be honest here, the, the people that don't believe in a housing shortage are all anti-central bank people, Right because they have to believe that the Federal Reserve has created a, an, an institution that has destroyed the United States of America. This is a conspiracy theory group. They are crazy. I challenge them every day. I beg them to come on live on air, man to man, face to face. I give Sarah Wheeler, please get these people in a live <laughs> debate because they were the ones from 2012 to 2019 said, you're an idiot for buying a house because the Fed's mortgage-backed securities, no, 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 no. And guess what happened? People bought homes, they had sex, they had kids. Nobody cares. You are a cult. So I can show this, but I need them live on air. Because once you see their face on how I would destroy them visually, you get to see a beaten man who bet against the United States of America because of some Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde Island conspiracy in 1913. Please take me on. I beg you people, a live debate. So we can end <laughs> this uh, uh, tyranny and mysticism because... You are older now and mortality is looking at you in the face, right? Because you are not young chickens. You weren't young chickens in 2012. You aged. And before you go, I need to get you live on a face-to-face debate because I cannot. Well, I don't think that's. I don't think that's going to happen because, as we know, so many of these people are anonymous on their social accounts or the people who. Listen, there's tons, there's tons of people. There's tons of people that are anti-central bank people who are well-known. Okay, so it's open to anyone. Because especially this this premise that uh, it, it was the Federal Reserve that inflated home prices, it wasn't inventory, right? They always want to blame the Fed, right? Uh, so my work is, hey, guess what? We had more home sales. Inventory was growing during the housing bubble years. They didn't know that. Why? Because they don't read. Uh, and, uh, um, and then we had less home price growth. During this period, we had less home sales, right? Yes, we had less. We had hotter home prices, hotter home price growth. We went vertical pricing. We never saw that during the housing bubble years. And what's the brilliant? Oh my God, inventory broke to all time lows. We were like a lot lower than what we had during the housing bubble years. Terrible situation. Yeah, yeah that's that's why, I mean, your tagline, a savagely unhealthy housing market has really caught on. I mean, people are saying it, people are talking about, it. I know you get tons of feedback on that because- it truly is savage. Well, we're out of time for today, but we will. Uh, I encourage our listeners to go read your latest um, jobs report and recession um, articles that you've written for us and also to tune in because we talk to you regularly twice a week, if not more, to find out what's happening because things are crazy. Yes, it just gets more and more interesting now. It does. And we have, you know, we have the Fed, you know, we're, we're not Fed haters in, in any way or ha- buy into these conspiracies, but they are trying to do something very difficult. And it is a uh, it's a game that that's hard to see how this is going to play out. So we're going to look to you, Logan, to give us this information on a on an updated basis a couple times a week and then also through your articles. 
Definitely, it's gonna be a lot of fun. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.